0: Well, thank you so much, and we're delighted to have you here with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Carol, as some of you may know, is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. You find her as well as chair of the National Council on Aging, a well-known gerontologist, and we have a whole lot of interesting conversations on this show uh, over the past many years.
1: We have. It's actually, if you put together the entire library, which is available on podcast. Um, on iTunes and...
0: On Player FM. Player
1: FM. Now, see, now you're remembering and I'm not. So if you have any kind of a smartphone, we have you covered. Um, it's actually a lot of good subjects. And we have another good guest today.
0: It turns out uh, Bob Lancot is somebody you know, serves on the National Council on uh, Aging's board and has played a critical role in Washington in writing, helping to write a whole lot of legislation that deals with the AAAs and aging.
1: Yes, I would say that he is the go-to person in terms of legislative issues around the elderly. Um, And we're going to be talking today about an important issue on immunizations, the importance of immunizations, if you're a caregiver, if you're a senior, um, and and why we need to make sure we get that taken care of, as well as some other issues, malnutrition, elder abuse.
0: Well, as I mentioned before, we have three little kids, and we made sure their nanny got a flu shot last year and this year. She'd never had one before.
1: And she probably said, why?
0: And we explained that.
1: And you said, Yo, I have three little kids. Exactly. And you're going to be taking
2: care of her.
0: <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so that was new for her. Yeah. And it turns out she happens to be uh, from Mexico originally. Uh, there's no requirement for vaccinations in Mexico.
1: Well, and I, you know, different. I, I'm not sure. I know that you know you have to get different shots for different countries because there are different diseases that of which you have natural immunity and, and you, you know you you don't. So as, you know, we, it depends on where you live. In and some as a cases. kid, as
0: a kid growing up, she had no vaccines. Matt, None. But to become, and she's now going through the citizenship process. Now she has to get vaccinated. Now she's,
1: she's welcome to <laughs> yeah. welcome to America and, and welcome to the world of exactly. caregiving. Exactly.
0: Speaking of caregiving, uh, at the beginning of each of our shows, we take a look at issues and topics that come out of the news, and this is really important. Five things people forget to put in their wills.
1: Well, this came out of one of my favorite websites. That's done by the public broadcasting system, it's, it's nextavenue.org. Um, and it, you know, it, it was originally published in GoBanking. And so this, the five things that people forget about, number one, the number one thing we forget about is alternate alternate beneficiaries. So we're really good at naming a primary beneficiary. We think about our spouse. Um, but it's a common mistake to fail to prepare for a backup plan in case that person dies before you do or the person that's made out the will. So, you know, if you're picking somebody to be the beneficiary, the other thing you need to think about is their age, their mental capacity, um, and their ability to manage assets. So you don't want to just name a beneficiary. I can think of a situation in our family where a relative had named another much younger relative um, to handle everything, to be the executor and to handle the estate. Um, And the younger person ended up uh, getting uh, a disease and absolutely no way they could take care of Uh, you know, be the beneficiary and and handle everything and remember everything. So an alternate beneficiary. Uh, One we've talked about a couple of times but still is new, provisions for digital assets. So digital you, you on Facebook, you on LinkedIn, you on, you know, all of your digital accounts and all of your digital banking accounts and shopping accounts. I mean, if I think about all the places that I actually have commercial business online, Somebody's got to take care of that and close those accounts. Interesting. So we forget about that. Another one we forget about is prearrangements for pets. We think, oh, that's something crazy rich people do. Well, I mean, if something happens to you, you know, who's going to take care of your beloved cat or dog or fish or whatever?
0: Who's going to feed your 400 cats? Who's going to feed my
1: 400? 400 is a slight exaggeration. (laughs) My 400 cats. Um, One that they suggested is a personal property memorandum. That's where I say I want my, the ring I inherited from my grandmother to go to my granddaughter. That's where you take, you get down into the nitty gritty, things that don't have a lot of, uh, maybe, monetary value but have very large sentimental value and you can designate them to specific people
0: you hear about families where uh, grandma goes through the house and puts a sticker on everything
1: yes doing something like that and when grandma doesn't do that and the fight breaks out between who gets the quilt right you know or the the picture frame or whatever it is it can get ugly so that saves some of that um, and then the last one is if you have minors trustee and guardianship designations. Uh, so somebody's got to take care of somebody, your your minors, in your family.
0: Because they may inherit, but they sure can't manage it until they're of That's age. That's correct. That's a good point, and those are good tips. And if you don't have a will, you, you need one. You
1: need one. You
0: need one. And I, as a lawyer, I will tell you, you're much better off getting a lawyer who knows Texas law to help you write that will.
1: Right, the law, whatever state you're in. You right. want somebody that knows your state law. If you're in Texas. Law.
0: Next up, impact of social isolation and loneliness on seniors, and we talk about this too, uh, but it can't be talked about too much.
1: Well, I, you know, I was thinking about this from two perspectives. One is the older person. You know, a lot of times we are caring for someone who doesn't live with us, uh, and they may be alone. Um, and the other is for ourselves as caregivers. Sometimes we're locked into caring for someone, and we become the person that is socially isolated and lonely. And so there was a study looking at what is the impact of that on health. Is there a difference? So social isolation is when you actually don't have anybody around. Loneliness is your perception of how much interaction you want with others versus how much you actually get. So it's really a self-perceived condition mm. Loneliness, And what they found is it doesn't matter if you really are removed from everybody or you just feel removed from everybody. The negative impact on your health is basically the same. So that they found social isolation was associated with a 29% increased likelihood, likelihood of mortality. Loneliness, 26% wow. risk. So it's basically the same. Um, and living alone, if you actually are alone, 32%. So they're saying that loneliness and social isolation, because it doesn't matter if you feel that way or you really are that way, is really one of the largest public health issues we are facing. It's the equivalent of um, a level two or three obesity problem. Wow. It's going to kill you at the same rate as if you were obese. And so we need to have education about the dangers of being isolated and lonely.
0: Take advantage if you live in an area like San Antonio where there are senior centers.
1: Well, there are senior centers all over the country. There are community centers. There are places to volunteer. You know, just depending on your situation, it is that getting cut off from everybody else um, that 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 isolation and that living, you know, cocooning. I don't know with the smartphone and the TV and the DVR and and all the technology. I think it can happen sometimes without us realizing it, even if we're not in a caregiving situation. Um, but that electronic connection, as we've also pointed out, is not the same right. as that real person
0: because it's not real. It's,
1: yeah, it's not touchy feely. It's, it's, it's not the touchy, you can miss the touchy feely part.
0: Right. So we have talked over the years with folks whose loved ones have suffered falls, had serious injuries, just had a guest on last week whose mother, Dr. Gerald Winokur's mother, 92 years old almost, uh, had a fall, broke a hip, uh, and, and it began to force her to spiral even more downhill. Happens all the time. How do you protect seniors from that?
1: Well, it's important that we, we do something. So the the National Council on the Aging um, actually is the Technical Assistance and Resource Center for Falls Prevention. And they have come out with a worksheet that six easy steps that you can do to help uh, reduce the risk of the fall of a loved one. And number one is probably the most important, um, it, one of the most important, asking them do they have a fear of falling. Why is that? Because if you're afraid to fall, you're going to do things that are actually going to increase the risk of falling. Really? Which is you're less likely to get up and be active. You might fall, so I'm going to stay sedentary. I'm going to stay in my chair. That's where you lose your your muscle strength, um, if you shuffle your feet because you're afraid of taking regular steps, that's going to increase your likelihood of tripping. So there are a lot of things mm. we do when we're afraid of falling that will increase. It's one of the biggest risk factors of falling is being afraid you'll fall.
0: And how do you get over that?
1: You can take, there are training programs like Matter of Balance that you can take, um, some exercises you can do uh, to, to help you get over that fear of falling. Um, you need to talk to your loved one about their health conditions. You know, if they have a, uh, you know, certain blood pressure issues, they might stand up and feel dizzy for a little bit. Uh, And so if they're having that happen, then that's going to increase their likelihood of falling. And it may be the medications that they're taking may increase their risk of falling. You might want to talk about when's the last time, Mom, you had your eyes checked? Um, Because maybe it's been a while and low vision can be a real problem. And bifocals, we don't think about it. But a lot of us that are older, hand-raised, wear bifocals or, you know, lenses, it, going up and down stairs, if you've got a vision change actually in your glasses, that lower part where you're reading and you're trying to go upstairs, mm, that can be dangerous. So having your eyes checked, obviously you want to check the furniture, the throw rugs, the bathrooms, you know, for all the physical things. You want to ask about any magic med- medications that can make you dizzy, um, and you're going to do a safety assessment on the lighting in the house. You know we you want to have lights on all the time i'm I'm thinking of two people I know who tripped in the dark and had injuries because Ooh. they fell and tripped in the dark and, and
0: pets can be a problem and, uh, yeah,
1: don't s- fall over your four hundred cats
0: right or <laughs> your ankle biting chihuahua,
1: yes, that's dangerous too
0: and they can be exactly where you don't want them to be,
1: yeah, so don't just hope your loved one doesn't doesn't fall. Actually talk about it, do a check of the house, and and try to nail that down.
0: You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The answer, I'm Ron Aaron. Along with Carol Zerniel, we're going to talk in just a couple of moments with a really interesting guy, Bob Blancotta, serves on the board of the National Council on Aging, where Carol is chair. Spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill working for some really interesting members of Congress. And we're going to hear his about his work in aging, talk about vaccines as well.
1: And we're also, I'd like to ask him about caregiving and the policy issues. You know, we don't have very many policy people on Caregiver SOS on air. It might be interesting to talk to him about what's coming down the pike related to caregiving. Do we have anything to look forward to?
0: And we'll take a look as well at uh, uh, the prospects of getting a vaccination that can help save your life.
1: Absolutely. Flu,
0: shingles, and a whole lot more. That's coming up next on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Air, along with Carol Zernial. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Remember, all of these shows are available on podcast, on Player FM if you're an Android user, and on iTunes for those of you who are Mac kinds of Apple people at no cost. And that's the big good news. <music> I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eickhoff, that's not by accident.
2: No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home.
0: And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my WellMed physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients.
2: Yeah, I I really do try to, and and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases.
0: That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well.
2: We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want
0: information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed? patient, call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. Well, we are so pleased that you are listening to us here on Caregiver SOS On Air at 930 AM The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, uh, along with Carol Zernian. We have a very special guest on who Carol knows because as chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, she has had an opportunity uh, to get to know Bob Blancato, who is a member of that board and a very distinguished career, uh, working mostly in uh, uh, senior and aging services programs. Bob, thanks for coming on.
3: My pleasure, Ron. Nice to be there. And hi, Carol.
0: Good afternoon. So how's she doing as board chair?
3: She runs an outstanding board meeting. We are, we are flourishing as an organization, and we are in great
0: hands. And she has a great sense of humor, which I enjoy going to meetings here. I
1: was going to say, I, the checks are in the mail, guys.
3: <laughs> that's true.
1: So well, when, one, thing I've,
3: one thing I've learned is not to sit next to her because we can distract each other very quickly uh, on, in board meetings. So I sit on the other side of the room.
0: Oh, that's cool one of the things i know we wanted to talk about uh, is the challenge that uh faces many in the healthcare industry and that's getting seniors to pay attention uh to the vaccinations that they need they uh me being a senior i'm 73 i've got that shingles vaccine i've got my tetanus booster i've got my pneumococcal vaccine i get a flu shot every year but but i may be the exception
3: you are the exception you should be commended first of all for that track record when you consider the fact that 83% of people 65 and over don't get the tetanus shot and 76% don't get the single shot and 40% don't get the pneumonia shot and even 30% don't even get the flu shot. Well, it's I cr- obvious that we need to work on communicating the message better. They need to understand that it's for the betterment of their health as well as the health of those they may be around. And um, I think it's particularly important uh, a caregiver program like yours that you know the close relationship of you know people in, in the caregiving world uh, to those they care for uh, should mandate that everybody gets as much of the uh, vaccines as possible so everybody can stay healthy.
2: Well,
1: I think that that's a very good point that you make because a lot of caregivers are so busy getting all of the shots for the person they're caring for that they forget that they can, you know, they need to get the shots as well. Otherwise, we create a germ circle. And for everybody to be safe, you really need to have all of your, if you're the caregiver, you need to have your shots up to date as well.
0: I credit my health care provider, uh, WellMed Medical Management, where I go here and San Antonio, and my primary care physician uh, ha- has really looked me in my beady brown eyes to be sure I've had those vaccines, and, and if I haven't, uh, they give them to me. So that works from the primary care standpoint. If you go to the doctor,
3: that's right, and that's you know. But I think there's you know there's there's a greater effort being done um, on the awareness uh, side. In fact, as, as Carol knows, you know one of my associations that I. I'm proud to represent the National Association of Nutrition and Aging Service Programs. Um, just uh we got a grant to uh raise awareness about vaccine in the older adult population during this flu season in targeted states including uh, including Texas and you know doing things like daily education programs where older people come and get their meals at congregate sites providing the information for the volunteers who serve homebound older adults. Um, you know, getting the word out as wide as possible uh, for, you know, the purpose of getting as much vaccinations done as possible.
1: Well, you've worked with the, you know, the, in the aging industry a long time. Why do you think it's so hard to get that, the number of seniors getting these immunizations? Why is it so hard to to get them to take this seriously?
3: Well, I think there's a couple of reasons, but one of which I'm happy to say because of some great advocacy work that the uh, uh NANASP along with ARP and NCOA did last year, uh for a period of time up until last December thirty first, um, Medicare did not cover the better form of the pneumonia vaccine that was available to newer seniors going on Medicare. So people that were considerably older who had been on Medicare for a longer period of time and gotten a less effective uh vaccine Uh, We lobbied uh, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, to allow that vaccine to be covered for all people on Medicare. And happily, last New Year's Eve, oddly enough, they agreed to it, made it retroactive back to last September, so that you know when an older person on Medicare goes to get a pneumonia vaccine, it is a state-of-the-art one, which is very important. But again, it's a matter of getting you know the word out. Um, You know, in our country, it's interesting when you're given opportunities to do well through health, um, like, you know, with the Affordable Care Act, allowing you to get a free uh, physical uh, when you join Medicare, when you enroll in Medicare. Uh, but the percentage of people who are doing that is not as, as high as it should be. So I'm not exactly sure what the answer is, except you just have to keep uh, getting the word out and getting it out into people's where they, you know, where they listen to things.
0: So for okay, seniors, so
3: maybe, maybe the churches need to do it more and other things.
0: For the seniors who had the older, not as high-powered pneumonia vaccine, can they then go back in now and get the super duper vaccine?
3: They can. Yes, they can. And they could actually could have started uh, as of January one of uh, this year, and it would have been retroactive had they done it. Let's say they did it last September of twenty. Uh, 14, they would be uh, uh, retroactively uh, uh, reimbursed for
0: it. Well, you're giving well, me something to talk to my doctor there about. You Thank go. you and,
1: and I've heard anecdotally, because the WellMed Charitable Foundation does operate senior centers, you know, much like, we're a member of NANASP, um, mm-hmm. you know, much like Bob's members, uh, and some of the seniors, you know, that we were talking to, they actually didn't get the shot because, for the pneumonia, because they didn't, the the higher-powered version wasn't available.
3: Yeah. Well, there's another issue that unfortunately we don't have as much control over sometimes as we would like, which is there is occasional shortages of, of vaccines. And, you know, which is unfortunate considering the, you know, the size of the pharmaceutical companies that produce these things. But I think there's an effort being made in that sector as well to not have a shortage be a reason for people not getting vaccinations. But I think it's about, you know, getting the word out. Uh, this is the perfect. I mean, we just went through vaccination, vaccine awareness week last week. Um, we got the holidays coming up. Uh, I suspect you'll hear more uh, discussion about this in different media uh, to get the word out, and we will do our part to do to do the same.
1: Well, and the one that I I find the most fascinating are the tetanus boosters because I think. You know, probably of all of them, that's the one that all of us are the most guilty. Um, I had a physician tell me that if I can't remember the last time I had the tetanus booster, then it's been too long.
3: Oh, I'm sure that's true. And I, and I also think that sometimes um, if someone you know... Um You know, like in my case, I got the shingles vaccine after a good friend of mine came down with it, and he told me what it was like, and I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going to get that thing done right away. Yeah, it's so
0: painful. People who've had it will tell you. So incredibly painful.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I you know I think that we're going. We had a a, phys, a young, well-med physician on the show a couple of months mm-hmm. ago, whose background was in you know microbiology, and he was talking about all of these very routine diseases like the flu, pneumonia, shingles, um, how dangerous they are. Uh, and you know he scared, uh, uh, yeah, he scared me. I think I ran out the door to get all the <laughs> shots that I needed after listening uh, to him. So you know, we I think uh, a lot of people take for granted flu. Flu comes and goes; it's every year. Pneumonia. Old people have been having pneumonia for years, but we forget pneumonia kills so many older people. So, so is that, the flu?
3: That's right. About a million people have to seek care in a hospital due to pneumonia, and almost fifty thousand people a year die from pneumonia. And so it's something that you. And you can avoid by getting things done early, and let's hope people take that advice.
1: Right, and, and with the flu, you may still get the flu, but you're not going to get the deadly version of the flu. It's going to mitigate all of those symptoms that you have and, and hopefully keep you out of danger.
0: That's correct. As you take a look at uh, where Congress is these days, and both of us spent time on Capitol Hill, you more than I, and, and you had an amazing career there, uh, the power has shifted from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. And often with that, that comes a change in attitude toward legislation and services for seniors. What would you grade Congress on these days?
3: Well, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult environment, as, as you noted, yet there have been some um, pretty interesting bursts of bipartisanship in this Congress, That uh, and, I, and we're not done yet, by the way. Uh, I'll give two examples, both of which impact older people in a positive way. Uh, for many years, physicians uh, were reimbursed uh, under Medicare under a formula that had the acronym SGR, And what would happen was Congress would confront the need to extend the SGR formula and they would extend it for six months or eight months or a year. And when it came time for that to expire, um, physicians would face a 25 or 30% decrease in their reimbursement rate under Medicare, which would send them away from Medicare patients. They wouldn't take them. Um, It would set this whole uncertainty factor uh, to both physicians and older people. Congress this year, when confronted with the need to extend it, decided to repeal it completely, never have this problem happen again, and no more will ever be a concern on the part of physicians not being adequately reimbursed under Medicare for serving older adults. So that was a very positive thing. And the other thing that happened just more recently was the passage of a two-year budget agreement, which will prevent the issue called sequestration or across-the-board cuts from ever happening again over the next two years at least because when they were applied in 2013 they went to many many different programs that affected older people led led to creation of waiting lists for senior meals and cutbacks and transportation services and so on so they decided that they the economy has reached a point where they don't need to do that anymore and they passed a two-year budget agreement on a bipartisan basis so you know there have been positive things but you know there's many more things left on the table which We probably don't have enough time to cover, but let's just say, you know, we can always do better.
1: So um, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, Bob, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, some of your work in the nutrition area and malnutrition, which um, is something we don't talk a lot about, but that you've been kind of raising that flag. So we'll talk about that when we come back.
0: Category of elder abuse, malnutrition. We'll talk about that and more coming up on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernial and our very special guest Bob Blancato. and uh, you hear us at 9:30 a.m. The Answer. We're glad you're with us right here on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with. Carol Zernio, we're talking on our Caregiver SOS Hotline with Bob Blancato. He serves on the National Council of Aging Board of Directors, where Carol serves as the current chairperson. Spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill uh, working in a variety of areas involving uh, not only the uh, various presidential annual conferences on aging and, and other activities, but also active in the National Association of Nutrition and Aging Services programs, which is where Carol wanted to move next.
1: Well, and before I move that, I, I did want to remind um, you that I, I had the pleasure of learning that Bob was recently knighted from oh, the Italian right. government. Uh, and so really, we should be calling you Sir Bob.
0: How did that Hello. happen, Sir Bob.
3: Well, it happened because in our country, um, the government of Italy honors Italian-Americans who are involved in promoting positive relationships between the United States and Italy, and some judge out of New York felt I had done that in my time uh, in Washington, and he nominated me, and uh, surprisingly, uh, they approved it, and uh, I was presented to me a couple years ago in a... Very nice ceremony at the Italian embassy here in Washington. Well, I don't,
1: I don't think the Italian, the Italian knights. (laughs) I don't know how you say it. Uh, What do you, nobility? I don't know what you are. Uh, You know, the British we call you know Sir Paul, Sir Mick. All of those guys get their title in Italy. You know, you're not getting the do that some of that the English knights are getting.
3: Well, um, it's called cavaliere. Oh, thank you. The proper term cavaliere, but it's. it's, it's a nice thing to have, I must
0: say. Did you have to kneel and they laid a sword upon your shoulder?
3: No, happily, that did not happen. Um, <laughs> but I was told that had I gone to Italy to receive the medal, oh. I would have gotten a steed as part of the deal. But, um, a ste- a steed?
0: A, a steed as a horse?
3: Yes.
1: Oh, I cool. Oh, now I'm, I'm sorry that you didn't yeah. get a steed to bring home with you on the airplane. How
0: disappointing. <laughs> well, let's what talk about fight? nutrition and seniors.
1: Right. So, so um, <laughs> I saw an article the, uh, that you had written, um, and it said malnutrition, the new senior crisis. So what? What's, why is there a crisis on malnutrition?
3: Well, because we, you know, we as a nation have been focusing, um, as we should, on issues around hunger and food insecurity, but we have a, a growing problem of malnutrition, which basically means poor nutrition. You know, uh, you can have a, a, an imbalanced diet. Uh, you can have a diet that it lacks essential nutrients. Um, but when you look at the numbers, uh, you find that there's a 300% increase in health care costs that can be attributed to poor nutrition status. And we have, we're have we spending about $157 billion a year in disease-related uh, malnutrition costs in the country. And we have a lot of older people, one-third of whom go to hospitals malnourished, and, and about 20% more come out uh, malnourished. And so what we're focusing on is how to address the question of malnutrition screening and awareness. At the time, people are uh, admitted to hospitals and in discharge planning from hospitals. And to you know, do a higher education rate to uh, older people to find out what they should, what kind of diets they should have that would prevent malnutrition from occurring.
1: Well, and so it, it's it, this just is imp- shining a light. This is important on the caregiving side because for those caregivers who don't live with their loved one. Uh, I'm sure a lot of us can think of an older person who doesn't really cook that much anymore. They live alone. Um, and you may be helping them with the grocery shopping, maybe. But if you really looked in the fridge, if you looked in the cabinets, are they eating the food that's there? Um, you know, what's going on? Probably a lot of long-distance caregivers or caregivers, intermittent caregivers, are really not l- analyzing what the nutrition, the nutritional quality is of the person that they're caring for.
3: That's correct, and, and I think that's part of the awareness effort that we need to focus on because um, whether it's a, you know, a long-distance caregiving situation or you know in the other world that I spend a lot of time working in in, in the field of elder abuse prevention, you know the, one of the fastest-growing forms of elder abuse is self-neglect, which is really the saddest version of elder abuse, and that is when you're on your own and you don't know how to care for yourself. And one of the main ways that occurs is to eat properly. And you know it's it's something that you know we we need to focus on. We need to have a greater consumption of calcium and vitamin D and B twelve and things of that nature, to uh, as well as eating better food. So we're hoping through a creation of a new coalition called Defeat Malnutrition dot today is the website Defeat Malnutrition dot today that we can focus needed attention on this issue. Get some legislation and regulatory issues uh, moving on this front and um, make sure that we're doing all we can to prevent malnutrition among older adults. And the
0: acronym for that is? Uh, <laughs> I'm not DMT.
3: sure. DMT. 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 Defeat D Mount. is in David, M is in May- Mary, right. D is in Tom.
0: Because you work in Washington, you have to have an acronym.
3: Well, that's true. There's too many of them up here. And, and you know, <laughs> the one thing I, I, I love when I go out of town, which is a lot to do presentations, is I tell people, if you hear me doing acronyms, raise your hand right away before I get into a, into a bad habit.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, so um, it, for those of us, you know, like we, we operate senior centers, um, so we should probably be, you know, well doing nutrition screening, some sort of analysis, having conversations to try to, to find out what are people eating when they're not at our senior center.
3: That is correct. And, in fact, you know, in your senior centers, which are, you know, so state-of-the-art and so... Uh, so much a model for the rest of the country. The key there is not only just, it's, it's more than just a meal they should be getting in these in these centers. They should be getting the nutrition education that addresses what they do when they're not with you. And that's really what the whole issue is all about. And, you know, I think we, uh, we just need to focus on this uh, in a more concentrated way. And, um, you know, when we do, uh, we usually see some degree of improvement. Well, you know,
1: when I first moved to San Antonio, there was... A- an older woman that lived down the street from me. And every night when I would take an evening walk, I would see her sitting by herself at her table in the window, which her dining room faced the front of the house. And it was, she was always alone and she always had her table set and she had her plate in her glass and she was always eating dinner there. And I, I would wonder you know, was that a what was on her plate? Did she go cook a whole meal? Um, was she lonely? You know, looking out the window and eating. Did that help? But I always wondered about what was uh, what was she having for dinner that night because it, it just uh, maybe it wasn't lonely, but it looked lonely.
3: Well, let's just say that one of the great values of the Carnegie Nutrition Program that you're so involved in in San Antonio is that it provides not only the meal but it provides that socialization opportunity, which many older people may need um, in their day-to-day life. And, you know, we, we can never undervalue the importance of socialization, especially when we're at a point where we're trying to combat Isolation and loneliness among older people. So we should be encouraging those kinds of programs, strengthening them, and giving them, making them, them more available to more older people.
0: You know the old line, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. If you offer these kinds of educational outreach programs, how do you get the seniors who need to get that message to listen? And we'll talk about that in a moment. I want to remind folks you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, I'm Ron and along with Carol Zerniel, Bob Lancata, our very special guest. So, Bob, how do you get them to listen?
3: Well, I think it depends on who's communicating the message. The one thing that is that is true across the country is that the Aging Network, um, you know, is a trusted entity for older people. They are familiar with dealing with the people who run these senior centers and nutrition programs, and as long as they are helping to communicate the message they will be listened to. Uh, it's a matter of who do you listen to? You know, who do you turn to? Is it your pastor? Is your pastor in a situation where they could help? Probably yes. You know, um, there's, there's a number of things that have to happen, um, but we have to always remember that we're a community at the end of the day. And, you know, where we know of people who don't uh, have companionship or don't have access to information or services, you know, we can always work right on our own communities to, to address those, those people. But I think with older people, the more they trust you, the more they'll listen to what you have to say, when, especially when they know it's for their benefit.
1: Well, Bob, let me ask, um, to one, jump subjects one more time. Uh, we did not mention that you were the director of the 1995 White House Conference on Aging, which is actually where you and I met. Um, Bob was in charge of the conference and I was a volunteer and ran the volunteer program at the time. Um, and we just finished the, we were both at the most recent White House Conference on Aging. And, and what didn't come up loud and clear in this particular conference was a uh, comprehensive long-term services and supports to help family caregivers. This There was a caregiving, you know, focus, but the idea of some kind of a comprehensive system. When you look in your crystal ball and you look at government and you think about caregivers and all that you know um, in this arena, you know, what do you see, uh, you know, down the path?
3: Well, Ron, Carol's understating her Situation. She was a director of 500 volunteers at the 1995 White House <laughs> Conference on Aging. So let's make sure we get that on the record. Um, but to your question, I believe that the um, the sleeper political constituency that could make a huge difference in this election, provided that there is a aggressive amount of voter education and engagement involved, would be our family caregivers. And I believe that they will see to it that the issues around long-term care and caregiver support, you know, make it onto the agenda of the national political scene. But I think when you come back and start dealing with the Congress and the legislative picture, the only meaningful thing that we can do right now um, for family caregivers at the national level are two things. One, we need to double the funding, at least, for the National Family Caregiver Support Program, which is the only program that trains family caregivers for this important role. And secondly, the next time we open up the tax code for a serious review, which will probably be next year, we should be looking at giving family caregivers a tax credit for the expenses that they incur to do their job as well as they can do it, and relieve some of the financial pressure that affects uh, family caregivers. So my hope is that we will see family caregiver issues. We'll see family caregivers at town halls. We'll see family caregivers raising issues. We'll see them in the platforms. We'll see them in a lot of places. And when they do that, they create the buzz that carries over to next year, and some of these legislative initiatives can go forward. Well, so that's I'm, my hope.
1: I'm just afraid of what some of the candidates may say yeah. if we do get them on the caregiving issue. There's been some interesting conversations, but we'll stay tuned <laughs> for that.
0: Uh, you have to be uh, skeptical about how much can happen depending on who the uh, – uh, principal candidate is in, in either party, we know uh, that when it comes to politics, it's hard to predict uh, come this campaign how it will come out. From where you sit in Washington, D.C., is there an interest in Congress, House, and Senate in these issues?
3: Oh, I believe there is, but I think if you take just the issue of long-term care or long-term services and support, the problem there is, and has been for years, is it's a very complicated issue with not an easy solution. Um, You know, 25 years ago, another member of Congress that I had the honor of working for, uh, Claude Pepper, who was the chairman of the House Aging Committee, produced a commission report on what we should be doing in long-term care. And his approach was, you know, we need a public-private partnership to um, put forward the kinds of services that uh, would constitute, you know, long-term care for you know, not only for older adults, but there's, you know, good number of people who are younger than 65 who need long-term care. But we're never going to approach this issue correctly if we put all the responsibility on one side. You know, the federal government cannot pay for all long-term care, nor should the private sector be asked to pay for all long-term care. You just need to break it down to the point where under med- with Medicaid, you know, the Medicaid should serve the most vulnerable people as it's intended to do and provide long-term care, and it is our largest long-term care funder at the
0: moment and of course you know medicare provides no help
3: medicare provides only a limited amount of help and it's usually based on a at least a three-day hospitalization right. stay and right. then, you know it runs out pretty quickly
0: i gotta stop you, you know. right here we, we are flat out of time uh i really appreciate you coming on do you have a website if people want to track some of these issues through your organization
3: sure if you write to bob at nanasp, N-A-N-A-S-P dot org that should work that's
0: my direct and email. You, can, you okay. can contact me directly. Bob at nanasp.org. Or. Right. Hey, thanks for coming on. Carol, good guest. Thank, thank you, Ron. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. And I hope we do it again. You take care. For uh, Carol's holidays to everybody. Thank you. I'm Ron Aaron. We're going to take up take ten in just a moment with Dr. Jamie Heisman. You hear us at nine thirty AM, the answer. <laughs> I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eickhoff, that's not by accident.
2: No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing
0: that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my WellMed physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients.
2: Yeah, I, I really do try to, and, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases.
0: That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well.
2: We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL.
0: 210 210- 614-WELL. We welcome you to Take 10. We follow each of and every one of our caregiver SOS programs with Take 10 right here on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us each week for Take 10, nationally known psychotherapist, uh, specialist in addictions, as well as dealing with caregiving. And speaking of caregiving, Carol, we, we just went through the holidays. Uh, we've been through Thanksgiving, been through Christmas, New Year's is coming, and for the caregiver. Uh, how does that rate on the stress meter?
1: Well, you know, one of the things about stress is that you can have good stress, um, good situations can give you stress, and bad situations can give you stress. So if, you know, the holidays can be very stressful, even though, you know, you were ex- maybe you were expecting great things to happen, you're with your family and you're opening presents, or, you know, you've got vacation time, um, but here we are, um, you know, we're still caregivers, and one of the things that, People equate with caregiving is stress. So my question to Jamie is: Why is caregiving and stress? Why is it associated? And why is that a? Why do we hear that as a bad thing? If stress can be, you know, triggered by good things.
4: Well, it can be. Stress is pretty much a normal psychological, uh, you know, reaction to to any demand in life, and so. Uh, I also say it's a physical reaction as well. I don't want to leave that out, but caregiving in and of itself is sometimes hits us like a two-by-four. We're not prepared for it. We don't understand it. We don't know it. It's a loved one that has special meaning, special significance to us. Um, we have fears, you know, that false evidence appearing real uh, immediately, and our mind goes to those fears of any chronic or terminal illness. So all those are great reasons why caregivers are more, I think, susceptible to, to stress. And that stress is not a helpful process when it comes to to caregiving because it, it literally throws us off our game.
0: And it triggers physiological reactions.
4: It does. I mean, your your brain's pretty much hard, hardwired to to go into protection mode when stress comes, and you know it, it's tough. Uh, you know, when it starts, all that chemicals start coming kind of flooding your body. Um, it, it's a fight or flight basically, and so. The problem is, that it's hard for our bodies to turn off. You know, once the once the let's say the threat is not there anymore, um, the nonstop stress around us of modern life kind of keeps it going. So it, 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 it's vital for us to get what what I would say immediately involved with is some stress management program if you're a caregiver.
0: And what does that mean?
4: Well, that means you have to take care of yourself. You have to be very, very proactive. It's 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 vital. Um, there's stress, you know. There's caregiver SOS, for instance, where uh, you have a, do a fabulous job. There is, is the first place I would go um, to find any stress relief. You'll you'll find people there with, you know, support groups, people that understand where you're at, a successful grief strategy uh, to, to to latch to because this could be about. The thought of losing somebody or actually losing somebody, caregiving has all that in it. But, you know, your, your stress can be identified by others. And so the first thing I would do would be find a support group. I would also immediately start taking care of your mind, your body, and your spirit. These are stress management sort of ideas. And and finally, I would um, start learning the art of relaxation, relaxation techniques, like meditation, and qigong, and, and, you know, deep deep. Work, breath work and yoga.
1: Well, and, and I think you make an excellent point, and it actually several. Um, you know, In the Caregiver SOS program that's run by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, we actually do have a stress-busting class uh, targeted for caregivers of either persons with Alzheimer's or some sort of a chronic illness. And to Jamie's point, we teach stress management techniques, stress reduction techniques. These are things you know, you don't just suddenly know how to meditate or, or suddenly know, you know, um, how to do imagery. You might, somebody needs to show you how to do deep breathing, that deep cleansing breath. So, you know, there, there's a, it is good to get some education and some instruction on stress reduction
0: techniques because it doesn't come naturally. And, and Jamie, people hear meditation and deep breathing and, and a lot of them think, you know, that's that new age hippie stuff.
4: Yeah, well, they do, but the New Age Hippie stuff is about 2,600 years old and has some real proven evidence-based research attached to it today. Uh, In fact, our work at WellMed now around the doctors and mindfulness is born from these relaxation techniques. And relaxation techniques can help to slow the breathing. And remember what stress does. It heightens it. It focuses your attention on it. And it's so important to be able to step away from your thoughts Because what caregivers believe in this fear and stress and fight-or-flight world is that they become their own worst enemy, these self-fulfilling prophecies, the thoughts start running the body. And what meditation or qigong or relaxation techniques do is try to remove you from the thoughts and allow you to observe them and witness them and understand, aha, okay, I accept it, and let them go. Um, Otherwise, you really get caught into the nightmare of the mind. And so that's what these techniques are, and it doesn't need a Buddhist uh, uh, c- container, if you will. Things like mindfulness or relaxation—they are truly standalone techniques.
1: Well, and and the techniques—it's not, you know, it's not just the caregiving situation that these techniques are going to help. You know, stress management um, and deep breathing and yoga and all of those kinds of techniques. Can benefit you on your work life. It can benefit you in your relationships. Um, all of that we, we don't realize, I think, in our fast paced modern world. I mean, other than just uh, if you finished shopping all the holiday sales, um, how crazy things can get. And all of those, you know, really do have a, have an impact on your health. You know, when we talk about caregiving, you know, if you compare a caregiver to someone who, same age, but is not a caregiver, that caregiver is going to have more stroke, more diabetes, more high blood pressure, COPD, all the chronic conditions. Just because they're a caregiver and they haven't learned to manage their stress, that immune system is taken down and the chronic disease goes up.
0: She's Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Take 10, part of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Dr. Jamie Heisman. And the fact is, Dr. Heisman, although we don't often talk about it in this fashion stress can kill you
4: yeah it does it'll secrete enough cortisol levels to to do that and i think at the end of the day you know it's important to carol's point to keep a real positive outlook about this that um there, there's a a recovery prayer and and uh it's God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's a, a immediate relaxation technique that like recovering addicts will do when they start locking in and attaching. so ron to, to there is a lot of antidotes. Uh, the problem is also though that there's a lot of isolation that comes with this, and that's why great programs like caregiver SOS or somebody who really wants to get well, they'll do that. They need to eat healthy, they need to exercise. These techniques are important and, uh, uh, and stand up uh, you know, for themselves in a positive way.
0: You used a technical reference I'm not familiar with. Uh, you said when they walk in and start attaching. Is that something well, that an alcoholic may do?
4: Well, I think, yeah, we all do, um, attaching to our thoughts. Um, uh, attaching, you know, uh, our thoughts, were, again, will have the most fearful things in them because they really are tapping into our childhood tapes. And as opposed to being realistic and positive and stepping away from it, you attach yourself and, and you kind of go down the chute with it. So, but to do this, again, you need support, you need somebody who understands these techniques, and you need yourself to have some measure of motivation to reach out. Otherwise, uh, it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a long haul.
1: Well, the good news is this is the time of the year when... Everybody, You get all the f- lower cost gym membership. So, um, you know, another great stress reducer is getting some exercise, uh, you know, and if you have trouble doing that by yourself, then get a gym buddy. Go join the crowds <laughs> that go to the gym in January. Um, I say that facetiously, but I really mean it. Exercise is a wonderful way to reduce your stress, even if it's a walk around the block. Um, doesn't have to be something that requires spandex. I have a
0: minute left, Dr. Jamie you get to close out
4: i think this is a great sort of topic I, i think um like the topic last week about grief i think that stress this week is about really getting in front of these issues um i would not wait to feel stressed to do stress management techniques i would say that you know life happens on life's terms and it's totally out of our control and therefore we we need is a set of tools. So I would get a therapist, I would find a support group, I would find a, a family of choice long before that stress hit.
0: Happy New Year to you Dr. Jamie and to Carol. We're in the new year.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Happy 2016. Happy, Happy New, new year. year to you and our listeners. And to caregivers everywhere, you need to take this one to heart and deal with stress. You can hear podcasts of all of our shows on Player FM if you're an Android user or iTunes for those of us who are on Mac and Apple. I'm Ron Aaron on Caregiver SOS On Air. On behalf of Carol Zornio, thanks for listening. Right here on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.